Hear the word of God from 1 Corinthians chapters 11 and 12. You can follow along on the screen or in your own Bible. Chapter 11, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. I'm so glad that you are always, you always keep me in your thoughts and that you're following the teachings that I passed on to you. But there is one thing that I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. But among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men, and men are not independent of women. For although the first woman came from man, every other man was born from a woman, and then everything comes from God. But in the following instructions, I cannot praise you. For it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent, I believe it. When you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. I'll give you instructions about the other matters after I arrive. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking of the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, or no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but all of them, and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes each to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though one has many parts, But all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear were to say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. 
If we were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church First of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Does everybody work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. Hope you guys are doing well today. Um, I am a little under the weather today, so please excuse me if I have to, like, like sniffle or something like that. I'll try not to gross anybody out. We're currently in our series in the letter Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. And we're kind of flying through this book so quickly. So I know it's, we're going through a lot. I know last week uh, Eric went through three chapters and this week we're going through two. So we're kind of flying through. So for those of you who are like, whoa, this is going so fast. In your small groups, you should be diving a little deeper into it. So this is a plug for small groups. If you're not in a small group, join a small group. Then you'll be kind of diving deeper into the stuff that we're kind of flying over, hitting on a, from a really kind of a higher viewpoint on. Paul begins another discussion here of yet another area of controversy and problems amongst the Christians. Worship. So in verse, chapters 11 and 12, he talks about worship and three areas in particular in worship. Important subjects, the question of head coverings for women in public worship the observance of the Lord's Supper, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit in worship. Three parallel relationships exist here. Number one, Christ in relation to every man. Two, man in relation to woman. And three, God in relation to Christ. So here's the deal, guys. I don't have time to dive into all the little nuances of this, but I want to give you guys three main principles to grasp when it comes to chapter 11, the first part of it in particular. Number one, you can see it on the board. There is a God-given order within creation as regards the men and women. Two, cultural standards are relevant to worship practices. And three, in the Lord, men and women are independent. And this is the point that we're seeing here in chapter 11 is this idea of what is worship? What is church community? What does it mean to be a church body that gathers into worship? What is, it, what is entailed in this whole process? And Paul here is trying to communicate orderliness in worship, but there's a reason for it. 
He wants us to be orderly in worship. He wants us to be unified because he believes that the church community, that the church body is an actual body of Jesus Christ. He wants us orderly. He wants us unified because a body that's not unified, a body that's not orderly put together is chaos. And it's not functioning the way it's supposed to function. So this is very intentional by Paul here to say, okay, you guys are having issues, you guys are having problems, let me address some of these issues. Very specifically, the issue of women and men in worship, the issue of how they're handling Lord's Supper, and the issue of the gifts of the Spirit, to give this over big principle message that says, guys, you need to be unified in love. That's the call. As a church body, you need to be unified in love. So really quickly, I don't want to just skip over this really confusing text in chapter 11, because then you guys would be like, oh man, I really want to learn all about that. And Lawrence is kind of skipping it over and asking Danny to do it later. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so I'm actually going to teach you guys a little bit about this here. Most of this stuff I got from N.T. Wright, um, and it's a question, like, if, when you read this chapter, verse, in chapter 11, when you get to the part of why is, is Paul saying, put on head coverings to women when you pray and prophesy, and to men he's saying, take your hat off. You know, somebody asked me the other day, is this where the tradition from taking your hat off when people pray comes from? I have no idea. But in Paul's day, in our day, gender was marked by hair and clothing styles. We can tell from statues, vase paintings, and other artwork of the period how this was played out in practice. There was social pressure to maintain appropriate distinctions. But Paul himself taught that there was no male or female because you were all one in Jesus, in Galatians 3.28. So, Perhaps that one of the traditions that he taught at the Corinthian church who needed to know that there was no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, were all equally welcomed, equally valued in the renewed people of God. Perhaps him teaching this that led to a situation where he's creating that he's actually addressing here in Corinth. Perhaps some of the Corinthian women were taking him literally so that when they prayed or prophesied aloud in church meetings, which Paul assumed that they do regularly, this should tell us something about how we should interpret the rest of Corinthians, they decided to remove their normal head covering, perhaps unbraiding their hair, to show that they were free from the normal social conventions by which men and women were distinguished in that time period. I know there's a lot of perhaps. Do you guys with me so far? Perhaps Paul, in teaching this idea that you're neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, in the Messiah, that you're just free in him, in this teaching, perhaps the Corinthians took it to say, well then, I'm going to let go of my hair. I'm going to uncover my hair here. A lot of perhapses. But we can only get to the dynamics of the situation. This is kind of what historians do, biblical scholars do. But Paul, maybe to the Corinthian surprise, isn't congratulating the women for doing this. This is happening, but Paul is then saying, hey, you shouldn't be doing this. Another dimension to the problem may well be that in Corinth, during that day, the only women who appeared in public without some kind of head covering were prostitutes. Now, this isn't suggested directly here, but it may have been in the back of his mind. That's a, a historical context for them to be in, because in the church of uh, in Corinth, there was a major pro uh, temple to, to the goddess Aphrodite, where there were a lot of temple prostitutes. And... So if the watching world discovered that the Christians were having meetings where women let their hair down in this fashion, it might have the same effect on the reputation as maybe it would be known that our church meets, all the women wear bikinis in our church, and the men wear Speedos. I felt like I wanted to be cool there, so just. The trouble is, of course, Paul doesn't exactly say this. And we run the risk of interpreting scripture and explaining him in terms of something that makes sense to us. It's tempting to do that because in today's Western world, we don't like 
some of the implications that we kind of maybe see here, the differentials, the differentiation he maintains in verse 3. The Messiah is the head of every man, a husband is the head of every woman, and the head of, of, head of Jesus is God. This seems to place man in a position of exactly this assumed superiority, which many women have rebelled from. So what does Paul mean when he says head? He uses it here sometimes in a metaphorical sense, as in verse 3, and sometimes literally, as what he's talking about what to do with actual human heads, verses 4 through 7 and 10. But the word he uses can mean various different things. And a good case can be made out of saying that in verse 3, he's referring to headship, not in the sense of sovereignty or superiority, but to headship in the sense of source, like the head of a river, the source of a river. In fact, some of the key passages where he explains what he's saying, verses 8, 9, and 12, he's referring explicitly to the creation story in Genesis chapter 2, where a woman was made the source from the side of man. Specifically, also later on talks about how only one woman was made from man, every other man was made from woman. The underlying point then seems to be that in worship, it is important for both men and women to be their truly created selves, to honor God by being what they are, not blurring the line by pretending to be something else. One of the unspoken clues to this passage may be Paul's assumption that in worship, the creation is being restored, or present creation is anticipating his eventual restoration. One of the underlying ideas behind this, Paul speaking here, is this idea that Paul gives over and over again, is that creation is being restored through the work of Jesus. And so this idea of man and woman being created separately in the image of God. God made humans male and female and gave them authority over the world. And if humans are to reclaim this authority over the world, this will come about as they worship the true God in the way that they were meant, celebrating the genders that God made them. God's creation needs humans to be fully, gloriously, and truly human, which means fully, truly male and female. The Corinthians then may have drawn the wrong conclusion from the tradition that Paul had taught them. Whether or not they could follow his argument any better than we can, it seems, uh, remains, seems clear that his main aim was that the marks of difference between the sexes should not be set aside in worship. And so what Paul is communicating to the, the Corinthian church is that, hey, I taught you earlier that, yes, we're neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, but here's the deal. God did create us separately, male and female, in his orderliness, in the way he created us, to show aspects of himself and the Trinity. And so when we worship appropriately, and mind you guys, here's what they mean by this, okay? It doesn't necessarily mean now, anytime you come to a scripture and you see only one example of something in all of scripture, always be careful to take that as, as something that needs to be prescribed to you now. Does that make sense? And so what Paul is saying to the, the people here is, here's the main principle. When you fast now, Matthew, Matthew talks about when you fast, make sure you put oil in your hair. Any of you guys put oil in your hair last time you fasted? You did? Good job. <laughs> the principle is, if you, if you translate it to this day, is that when you fast, hey, brush your teeth and you know, brush your hair and wash your hair like you normally would. Don't let people look at you, oh, look how miserable that person is. This is the same principle here, is when you come into worship, be what God made you. He made you male and female, separate to, for a purpose. Don't, be, don't bring inappropriateness into worship, bring orderliness into worship. And there's different parts that God has brought together for the benefit of the whole. Does that make sense about that passage really quickly? So the Corinthians don't really seem to get what's happening in church. They're not getting what community is about. If you look out throughout the whole book of Corinthians, you see them constantly fighting, being divided. I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. 
Um, they started fighting over sexual immorality. They started fighting over every little thing. They were suing each other. They were not living in what community was supposed to be. They were confused. The very first verse of chapter 12 sounds like, not regarding gifts, I don't want you to be dumb about this. And they were being dumb. In the early church, um, the church was quite an event. Miracles and prophetic words and famous apostles would show up and do unbelievable miracles. People would tell firsthand stories about, hey, I remember when I saw Jesus do this. Corinthians, as you can imagine, were coming for a weekly show. And honestly, I think some of us do the same when we come to church. A lot of people, we love coming to church and love having with little to no understanding of what the church is or what's really supposed to happen here. Many churchgoers go to church on Sundays because of tradition or a sense of moral obligation. Now, I'm not trying to put these people down, but they don't know any better. I want us as a church to understand why it's important for us to be in church together. Why it's important for us to understand what family and community is. Most people are content hearing a decent message, having good music, and believing that their children are safe in children's ministry. It's a weekly activity that most people add to their lives. What I hope to convince you of today is, as Pastor J.D. Greer has said, that a church is not a spectator sport. Believers should be belongers, participants should be players, and members should be ministers. Guys, my goal for you, to, my goal, my heart for you today is I want you to see what it means to be a new community of believers, see what the church is meant to be, see why Paul was so adamant about orderliness and worship, so that you can see what the church is supposed to be and believe and belong. Verses 2 and 3, it says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The first thing Paul tells them is that they need to have a new understanding of church. Because currently they have a pagan understanding. They would go as pagans and worship idols that didn't lead or guide or encounter them. They were mute. When they needed help, they'd go and or do something wrong. They'd go to a statue or to a deity and pay off that deity. There's no relationship there. There's no relationship with God. But Paul says it's different for you. When Christians come together, they're supposed to have an experience with God who is literally living and speaking with them. Christians are to be led by the Spirit. We'll talk more about the gifts of the Spirit next week as we look into chapter 14. But for today, first, uh, we first see that there's not just one or two people who have the Holy Spirit. But verse 6 says, God empowers them all and everyone. Just like God gave special enablement for the building of the tabernacle in Exodus 31, He gave spiritual gifts for the building of the church. Beginning in ch chapter 12, verse 12, it says He uses the analogy of the body. Now, a body has a lot of different members, but each is necessary to be a complete person. Guys, I love this. Now, if this, any of this information is wrong, I got it from the internet, so blame the internet. Okay? You medical people here, if you guys, if this is wrong, I probably looked up the wrong source, but I hope it's correct. There are 206 different bones. Did somebody say no? All right, we're in a good place so far. 650 skeletal muscles, 210 cell types, over 50 different elements. Even though you're mostly water, you've also got interesting stuff. You have gold, lime, which I don't, lime, titanium, lead, arsenic. Many elements which dull or lifeless or even poisonous by itself, but combine to produce the remarkable thing that's here. That's you, your body. Your brain can store 100 trillion facts and make 15,000 decisions a second. 
Your nose can smell up to 10,000 different odors, and your fingers can feel something only one over 25 thousandths of an inch thick. Each element, each body part has a role to play, and working together, finished product is stinking amazing. Am I right? How crazy is that? Now, Paul is gonna say the church is like that. The local church is full of different pieces that come together to be the body of Christ on earth. I don't know what relates best to you. Like, I don't know if, if I started talking about Voltron or Captain Planet or Power Rangers, whichever one relates the best to you. For me, it's Voltron, right? Because when Voltron came together, there were separate lines apart. When they came together, man, they were protector and defender of the universe. Anybody yet? No? No? You guys too young or too old, I can't tell. Voltron was awesome. In this body, we need everyone to use the gifts and to be who they're meant to be. The use of your spiritual gift is essential for the body. It's who they are. What is a spiritual gift? The Greek word literally means spirit gift or grace gift. Different from the natural talent, it can go along with, it can go along with a natural aptitude. For example, um, I might have a natural aptitude to be in front of people and present, but there's something more. This is not, it's more than just a natural aptitude. It's literally, gift is literally Christ working through them or Christ working through you. And what is that like? Is it like a tingle? Is it like a glow? Anybody ever watched The Last Dragon? Leroy? Anybody? Remember the glow? Oh yeah, that's a good movie. It means that God is working through you to touch or to minister someone. A spirit-filled church is not defined by people who roll around and who shout and who, who scream louder than other people. It's defined when you can sense that there is a God there because it's over every single person there is removing and acting and speaking and, and moving like the very um, mouthpiece or hands and feet of God. A spirit-filled church is a church that's being, living out Christ on earth. Verses 7 through 9, he gives several examples. For to one is given the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another faith by the same spirit. To another gifts of healing by the same spirit. To another working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is not supposed to be a comprehensive list. And how do I know? Because four different times in the Bible, there's a list given about gifts of the Spirit and none are the same. I don't even think if you put them all together, that's a comprehensive list. It's when Christ wants to work on earth, he empowers someone in his church to do it. Can I say that again? When Christ wants to work and accomplish his mission on earth, what he does is he chooses to empower someone in his church to do it. Now, we're going to talk some more about the gifts of the Spirit in, in kind of a practical way more next week. So if that's like, oh, I want to hear all about that, that's next week. Teaser. But Paul says in verse 12 that we need to see the church like a body. And then he fleshed out that analogy by giving you four implications. So I'm going to give you four implications of what it means to see the church like a body. Number one, there is unity. A body is not a collection of members, each with its own agenda. Sometimes my stomach thinks it's a good idea to, you know, if they see a, a proposal of a, ooh, can you do this 70-ounce uh, burger challenge with fries and milkshake at the end of it? My stomach might be like, ooh, that sounds like a great idea. Then my heart and my brain says, oh, you're such an idiot stomach. And that's not a good idea, because if you want to keep on living, you shouldn't do that. So my heart and stomach have to agree to work together for the common goal, the health of me. They're often at an end with each other. I know, it's a struggle. 
But there is unity. There's unity in the body. We need to have unity in the church. It's around the gospel of Jesus, the word of God, and the mission of Christ. People come with different ideas of what it means to be the church. When you come to church, that each and every one of you guys came into this church body with different ideas of what does this church mean? What does it mean to be a church in this community? What does it mean to be a church in Durham, in Chapel Hill, in the Triangle? What does that mean for you? You guys each came with different expectations of what the church is. And the call for us is, can we be unified around the gospel of Jesus, the word of God, and the mission of the Christ in this church? Can we trust that the Holy Spirit is leading our church? So while we may not agree with everything, we can still submit to one another in love and agree on the main things. My stomach might not agree with my brain. My stomach might say, yes, that's a good idea to eat that burger challenge. My brain says, no, my stomach needs to submit to the brain for the betterment of the overall goal of the health of me. Do you guys hear that? It's like in the Trinity, verses four through six. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them, all and everyone. One in essence, no division. Christ is not divided. We as a church need not be divided. Do you hear that? Isn't that what's been happening all throughout the book of Corinthians? They've been dividing over silly things. Who baptized who? Oh, I'm a lot more spiritual because that guy baptized me, right? Or, oh, uh, the, that we should kick this person out of church. Oh, no, no, but we have freedom to do this. Oh, no, but... No. Can we submit to one another and focus on what's so important, that what brings us together as a church? Number two, there is diversity. We're united by the fact that we love Jesus and hate sin, but there are many different styles. Not one style of culture. One thing I love about Waypoint Church is that we're diverse and we're hopefully becoming more diverse. We have people here that would probably never hang out with each other if it weren't for their bond in the gospel. We don't need to be uniform. We don't want to be uniform. We need different parts to accomplish different tasks. We have, not all of us at Waypoint have the same mission. Some have incredible hearts for the overseas and for the church overseas and for the persecuted overseas who want to go and share the, na- share the gospel to the ends of the earth. Some have incredible hearts for local refugee ministry. Some have hearts for just door-to-door neighborhood evangelism. Some have hearts for mercy, like feeding the homeless, working with foster care children. Some cry out for social justice. We want to do it all, and as God gives us the talent, vision, and empowerment, we want to see what happens. And here's the problem, though, we see sometimes in churches, is some people say, oh, that church doesn't do X. That's a terrible church, and we can criticize it all we want. Man, instead of doing that, maybe we should be asking God, how can you start that thing here that is missing? Maybe if you think we're not ministered to a certain segment of society, maybe that's why you're here, and you're here to call us to lead us into it. Here's the deal. You'll find God raises up people in the church. You'll find that God has brought you here for a reason. Guys, we're, we're diverse in God's calling upon us. In Ephesians 4.11, he says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. One thing I love about the church is how many places there are for ministry. Here at Waypoint, we believe that members and ministers are all, uh, members, are, members are ministers and missionaries. We need, we need you here to be plugged in and involved. We believe that there is no bench here. Now, I mentioned this before, guys. One of my, I shared this again. One of my favorite teams growing up was the Chicago Bulls. 
And I remember their second championship run, that they brought in a player named Dennis Rodman. You guys remember Dennis Rodman? Crazy dude? Well, because he was so crazy that everywhere that he went on a team, they would bring this guy with him. He was like one of Dennis Rodman's best friends. Right? And they'd bring this guy with him, and he'd be like the guy who's kind of like just sat on the bench, never played in a game unless it was like they're winning by 50 points at the end of the game, then they might throw him in for a little bit so nobody else got injured. But his only job was to sit there on the bench and make sure Dennis Rodman didn't go too crazy. I wanted that job so bad. I mean, think about that. You're sitting here watching Jordan and Pippen, and Dennis Rodman just being like dominating everybody, and you're like, yeah, I get to be a part of the team, I get to win the ring, but you're really just hanging out watching people play basketball. Pretty epic game. That is not your job. I know. Most people want that job. Most people want to go to church and they want to say, hey, look at all the superheroes at the church. Look what they're doing. And you want to cheer them on. No. We're called, as members of the church, we're called as bodies, as believers of Jesus, that if you're playing in the game or if you're part of the team, you're playing in the game. Do you hear that? Because we need you. We need you not to sit on the bench. We need every gift that you have. We need every skill that you have. The church needs every bit of every piece of every one of you guys together. It's like all of a sudden the ear saying, ah, I like just sitting on the bench. I'm not gonna work anymore. No, you need the ear too. The church is not a melting pot where everything and everyone runs together and we look the same. We're more like a stew pot, or for foodie like me, we're like that perfect entree plate. You know what I'm saying? That has a good variety, it has a different textures, has a little bit of sweet, a little bit of savory, has the right amount of vegetables with some protein. You know what I'm saying? Like you want every bit of it. You don't want just a piece of chicken. I don't want the same piece of chicken. You know, but I want that, I want that crunch, I want, I want the texture, I want the protein and the meat, vegetable, and I want it all. And it comes together, these unique different pieces of a food entree comes together to form this beautiful plate of food where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. We need to be, there is diversity in this body. Three, we're all necessary in this body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? A body with only one type would be awkward, right? Just a giant ear, <laughs> just weird. <laughs> we're all needed and necessary. Can I tell you this, people? You're like, Lawrence, I'm, I don't sing like Gina. I just don't. You're still necessary. I know you don't feel that way, but you are. Lawrence, I don't play guitar like Nathan. Oh, no, you're much more necessary. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Lawrence, I don't speak. I don't, I don't, I'm not good at speaking in front of people. I don't, Lawrence, I don't pray. Guys, can I tell you something? You, whatever it is, whoever you are, God brought you here for a reason. You are necessary. You are needed. Please do not ever devalue yourself here. We need you. You're necessary. You're needed because we need every bit of this team, every bit of the body. You know, we need the knee. We need the, the nose. We need the, the lips. We need the, all these things that we think, we're like, I don't need that part. We need you all to be a fully functioning, ideally, optimally working body. We need you. Please don't think that your skills or your gifts are unimportant. Please think you have no value or no purpose in this church. We need you. Four, we are all connected. We are all connected. If my feet hurt, it affects the overall performance of my body. I have a player on my fantasy football team who's been annoying me so far. He's been injured for the past four weeks. He's, I mean, this guy is a professional football player, one of the best wide receivers in the league, right? And he's out. Do you know what he's out from? 
a toe injury. He has turf toe. I mean, a toe injury. This is like the specimen of an athlete is out because of his little toe injury. It shows, guys, that we're all connected, that we need each other. Guys, and guys, can I tell you this? When one part of us suffers, we need to all suffer with them. When one part of us weeps, we need to weep with them. And we're all connected together. We need to strengthen each other. We need to care for each other. We need to care for our body. You know, it's like nobody ever says, oh, my foot's in pain. That's just cut it off. I don't need it. Right? Most people don't. Some people might, but that's just weird. Right? Here's this idea, guys, is that we're all connected. We need the whole body together. And so, guys, we're all connected. We need to care completely for the, even the parts that, I love how the, the Bible is kind of discreet about it. I love it's like, oh, the parts that are modest and hidden away. We need all parts. So practical application points that I want to take from this message about church and community is this. One, believers should be belongers. God designed it so that no one has all the gifts to himself. When a body part is separate from the others, it will die. So if my arm was cut off on the body, it dies by itself. Guys, can I tell you this? Can I tell you this? That you as a Christian, if you're cut apart from the body of believers, you will not thrive. Can I say that again? Am I allowed to say that? I'm going to say it. That you're meant, the Christianity knows nothing about a solitary religion. That you're meant to be in community. You're meant to belong. You're meant to be in a church body together. Believers should be belongers because we need people. Most of us don't like that. We want to be independent. C.S. Lewis had a picture in the book, The Great Divorce, where the houses get further and further from each other. The goal of Christianity is dependence on God. And, but where is God? God is in his church. Believers should be belongers because you need people and people need you. Two, we, should all, we all should have a job. A place where Christ uses every member of Waypoint Church is a missionary, we say. And there is no bench. So how are you ministering? Just like God gave special enablement for building of the tabernacle, he gave, in this building of this beautiful tabernacle in Exodus 31, he gave each individual, these random people, he gave these unbelievable skills to, hey, you're good at this, you're good at building that. Just like that, God's given us skills in this church. So what is your skill? What is your gift? What has God called you to do here? And then you might ask the question, I have no idea, how do I know? Let me help you out with that. What are you passionate about? Scientists say we each have a different heartbeat, like a thumbprint, similar but slightly different. That's God. The more you walk with him, the clearer it will become. What's your passion? What is God placing your heart to be passionate about and for? What do others affirm in you? Oftentimes, others see us better than we see ourselves. So what are others affirming you? So number one, when you figure out where you call to a ministry, what is your gift, where you call to serve, ask the question, what am I passionate about? That's why we ask our new members, when you come to our new member class, one of the things that we ask them to fill out is, what are your passions? What are you passionate about? Like God, we believe that God gave that to you. God is instilling that in you. Two, what do others affirm in you? What do others say, man, you're really good at this? Because if others you know, are saying that, maybe that's true. So, but if others are not saying that you're really good at singing, then maybe you shouldn't sing. Just throw that out there. Maybe you're drawing a blank. Maybe you're like, I have no clue. I have no clue what I'm passionate about. Nobody said anything but for me what I should do in the church. Well, then maybe you should just do something and see. Right? You see, there's an option. You can say, like, I have no idea. What am I good at? I don't know what I'm passionate about. I don't know what my gifts are. Nobody said anything to me. So you can just sit there and be like, I don't know. Because I'd be like, oh, Sad. Or you can be like, I don't know. Let's go try. 
I don't know. So, okay, I don't know what I like, so let's go taste it. It's like saying, oh, I don't know what food I like. I don't know what to eat. Well, then just eat it and try it and see if you like it. Maybe you should serve. I don't know. Okay, check out the children's ministry. Uh, I don't know. Check out working, feeding the homeless. Uh, I don't know. Go to volunteer. Go, go do sound. Go do something. And then see what God called you to. Guys, here's the deal. Here's the problem. Many of you are uninterested, truly, you're uninterested in caring about what you're called in the church, what you're called in the body to bring to the body. Because honestly, we care more, our goal in life is more about the good life we live now, not about the, the, what we contribute to the body of Christ. We care more about the good life for me and my family. Yeah, I said it. We care more about the priorities of, hey, am I making enough money? Am I putting enough away for retirement? Is my house big enough? Am I keeping up with the Joneses? Am I reaching these certain goals? And we care more about that than we do about God, what has God called me to do in the life of the body? Because my number one calling as a Christian is to be a part of this body of Christ to advance his kingdom. But we forget that's our number one calling and instead we focus so much more on how do I make myself happy and satisfied? And we forget that when we focus on that, we are never happy and satisfied. Some of us, number three, some of us needs to stop dating church and treating it like something that you just kind of like are not willing to commit to. And those of us, some of us, some of you who have committed to it really need to commit to it, just not a, on paper commit to it. Does that make sense? It's not a club. It's God's plan A to reach and affect and change the world. And you've, you really aren't into relationship until you, you're not really in a relationship until you commit. And don't be afraid of committing. Leap and belong. We're meant to belong. And for when the church meets, we should expect to encounter God and to do his will. Waypoint Church, we're called to be the local church body here together. And here's the deal, as a local church body, we're called to be the ones who feels the body's pain, to help the body when it needs help, to do this thing called the Christian life together because our purpose, our goal, is to see the kingdom of God advance in our community. We need each other. Can I tell you this, guys? I'm not saying that if you join a church, if you join this church, if you join any church or anything like that, all of a sudden your marriages are going to be perfect, your kids are going to be great, and you're going to make a million dollars. That has never been and never will be the promise in the Bible. It never, been, never will be the promise I stay here. But I will say this, that we're meant to do this thing called a Christian life, this thing called advancing the kingdom. We're meant to do it together. You're not meant to do it alone. And too often in our Western society, in our Western culture, we try so hard to, to do it alone, to act like we don't need anybody else, to go after our own dreams and our own passions with such fervor and forget and neglect. And we try to add on this thing called Christianity and this thing called church as a weekly activity rather than saying this is who we are, what we're meant to be. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus and he prepared good works for us to do in advance. Can I tell you something, church? As a church, as a body, we're called to come together and to live this life for the, His glory together. And it's hard. I understand this. But that's the calling upon us, but it's also so beautiful. Let's be that beautiful church together. Amen.